Loving Father, we thank you for this part of your word and uh, we can only get a small taste of it today but we pray that you'd help us to get the sense and to get the point and for it to make a difference to us and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when things are going well, there's a rhyme and a reason to life and everything seems under control and everything in its place. But when something goes wrong, the rhyme gets muddled up and the reason disappears and the system seems to break down. Uh, I once heard tell of a family, uh, maybe more legendary than real, uh, who had four daughters. The first was named Faith, the second named Hope, the third named Charity and the fourth they named Sharon. (laughs) Faith, Hope, Charity and Sharon. Now Sharon is a lovely name. But there was a system and it seems that somewhere along the line the rhyme and the reason broke down and went out the window. Why not faith, hope, charity, grace? Faith, hope, charity, prudence or faith, hope, charity and joy? Uh, I'm, I'm wondering where the system went. And sometimes it's like that in our lives. We like to have the rhyme and the reason because then we have some, some, some sort of control. Uh, but when, when we suffer and we can't work out why, it can be very troubling. It's like what is going on here? If you're a Christian and you know your sins are forgiven and you're a child of God, uh, that can only make your suffering worse because it's more mysterious. Where is the rhyme or the reason when the Gospel tells me I have God's favour? This doesn't seem to fit how things are supposed to work. Suffering that is deserved, we understand. Uh, There is rhyme and reason to that. But undeserved suffering is a spanner in the works. And this is the struggle of Job. We know from chapters 1 and 2 that Job is right, it is undeserved. Now he's not sinless but he's a friend of God, he's a righteous man, he's right with God, he's on God's side. Uh, We know how and why God was afflicting him even though Job doesn't and the friends don't. Uh, He he, he doesn't know why he's getting it because he doesn't deserve it. So the main issue at the centre of this long and fruitless conversation in the middle of Job is undeserved suffering and where that leaves us. The friends, of course, say that the system is simple. There's no such thing as undeserved suffering in God's universe. But Job says, I can't explain it, but undeserved suffering does exist. You are looking at it. And so we're covering these chapters today and just trying to draw out the main ideas. There are three cycles in these chapters in in the conversation between the three friends and Job. Eliphaz speaks and then Job, then Bildad speaks, then Job, then Zophar speaks, then Job. That's the first cycle. And then they go round again and then they go round a third time except the third cycle is cut a little bit short. Zophar doesn't speak, perhaps because the friends at that point have fallen into an exasperated silence. They haven't got through and nothing seems to be working. And you certainly get to the end of these long chapters and think, where are we now? We are no further advanced Uh, There's no wisdom or light being shed on this situation. The friends, as I said, are basically making the point that it's very simple, you get what you deserve. So they had come to Job to bring sympathy and comfort to what they assumed was a sinner. So they had come with the intention of helping someone who had clearly fallen into sin to restore them to God. I mean, what other reason could there be for Job's suffering than that he had fallen into some sort of sin? And so they represent a very powerful and popular theological system, which is that in God's universe you get what you deserve because he is a God of justice. Job is suffering 
He must have turned against God in some way, therefore. There must be some unforgiven sin in his life that needs to be dealt with. And so early in the, in the dialogue, we heard what Eliphaz says, should not your piety and your confidence be your, and your blameless ways be your hope? Uh, who being innocent has ever perished? Uh, where, where were the upright ever destroyed? Uh, they assert God's justice. Does God pervert justice? Uh, Zophar even says to him in, in chapter 11, you ought to know that God has even forgotten some of your sin. In other words, you probably deserve worse than what you're getting. This is a universe in which you get what you deserve. And the, the accusation carries all the way through the chapters. They just keep harping at Job. Uh, we heard from Eliphaz in chapter 22, is not your wickedness great? Are not your sins endless? And yet you say, what does God know? And this is really what annoys the three of them by the end of this conversation. Job seems to be thumbing his nose at God by claiming to have done nothing wrong. To them it's beyond dispute. It's, it's perfectly obvious. You get what you deserve because God is a God of justice and he rules over everything. Nothing escapes his notice. And so who does Job think, think he is? Don't argue. Admit that you're a miserable sinner. Don't claim that you're, not on the, uh, that you're not the cause of your own suffering. You are clearly not right with God. Uh, no human should argue with the system, especially somebody in Job's situation who clearly doesn't have a lot of uh, ammunition in the argument. And so they keep saying things like, can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can even a strong man be more pure than his maker? And so their advice to Job is to repent. He's obviously sinned. Um, he's questioning the system, now he's arguing with God, he just needs to humble himself and repent before God. Uh, Eliphaz says to him in chapter 15, you even undermine piety and hinder devotion to God. Um, uh, that is, if you undermine the system of getting what you deserve, you're basically just discouraging uh, godliness because what's the point of being good if people don't get what they deserve? So here's Job, obviously getting something bad, denying that he deserves it and if the system is undermined then what reason do any of us have for being godly if you don't get what you deserve anyway maybe I can get away with something there. So to them it seems he's trying to rearrange God's world or God's universe around himself purely because he won't admit that he's in the wrong. Stop struggling against God and repent. And they offer him a little bit of hope. If I were you, I'd appeal to God. I'd lay my cause before him. He performs wonders that can't be fathomed and miracles that can't be counted. In other words, you may find mercy and grace if just you'll humble yourself before him. And it, they really are like a broken record going round and around. The system is watertight and they are sticking to it. Stop fighting against it. And so as you would expect, uh, their attitude to Job gets more and more frustrated throughout these con this conversation. They've come to comfort somebody who's obviously sinned but he refuses to admit his wrongdoing and now they, they get more and more angry. And uh, if you were to read through, you would notice some very eloquent and poetic sermons on hell here, uh, the, the terrors of hell and the torments of being an enemy of God in the end and they're obviously squarely pointed towards Job. You're in hell because you've obviously sinned and there's much worse coming if you do not repent is what they end up saying to him. Now, of course, they think that they're defending God. You know, they're, they're on God's side. They're defending the system they believe that God gave to them. 
But when you stand back and actually listen to what they're saying to this man in his situation, they end up sounding really quite cruel. And that cruelty is the product of the unforgiving system that they are defending. You get what you deserve. If you believe that in your heart, then that will make you cruel. Um, This is a very key point to reflect on in these chapters. If there is no room for undeserved suffering in your beliefs, then there is also no room for grace in your beliefs. If you believe that every piece of suffering must be deserved, then you must also think that every piece of blessing must be deserved as well. No room for grace. And believing in a system like that will change you. It will make you more condemning of those who suffer and less sympathetic and it will make you more self-righteous if things are going well for you. It must be deserved. And at one point in the dialogue, Job says to them in chapter 16, I also could speak like you if you were in my place. I could make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you, but my mouth would encourage you. Comfort from my lips would bring you relief. And what he's saying there is that you can't offer me any comfort or grace because you believe in a system where you get what you deserve, but I understand that it's more complicated than that, and so if the shoe was on the the other foot, I would try to offer you some comfort and grace out of the mess uh, that we find around us. And there's something in that for us. If we are Christian believers who believe in grace, it should make us more sympathetic, more gracious, less cruel when we're uh, trying to comfort those around us who are suffering. Um, At least we're able to say, I don't know why God is allowing this to happen to you. Um, It's much more comforting than saying, look, you've gone wrong somewhere along the way. Let me help you get it right again. Um, And so that's the friend's position. Let's now look quickly at how Job responds to them, which is basically to claim that God has become his enemy and not vice versa. He did not turn on God, God turned on him. That's what he's saying, which we know in a sense is true from the first couple of chapters of the book. And so Job laments his suffering, which is so much worse because he knows it comes from God, Uh, We heard him say in chapter 6, if only my anguish could be weighed, etc. The arrows of the Almighty are in me, my spirit drinks in their poison. So God has used him as a a pin cushion and skewered him with poisonous arrows. Uh, He wonders uh, further on in chapter 6, why doesn't God just finish me off? Uh, Why use me for target practice? Um, He's insisting that God has turned on him and not vice versa. He is innocent. Uh, Chapter 16, um, my hands have been free of violence, my prayer is pure. And we heard it read from chapter 27, I will maintain my innocence and never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. So Job says, God has turned on me, I didn't turn on God. And he wants to stand before God, he wants his day in court. Someone who knows they're guilty doesn't want their day in court, they want to run away from God. But Job says, no, I'm innocent and so I want to face God. And so these chapters are full of Job lamenting his lack of access to God. I don't seem to be able to get through to God. He's beating on God's door, but God will not open it to him. God is treating him as as you would an enemy. And his observation is that this is not necessarily uncommon. He says, you look around you in this world and you see injustice all over the place. I mean, the innocent suffer, the wicked prosper, they even go down to the grave happy sometimes. 
Um, God is a God of justice, Job believes that, but he's thinking, where is it? It seems very complicated up there. Chapter 26, he says, God is so huge, how can we think that we have the full picture of, of how everything works? And so he says to his friends, you are wrong to think that you can contain it all in just a simple little equation. But he also says, I don't know how I'm ever supposed to get satisfaction in the end either, it seems too complicated. And so he warns his friends against uh, where their simplistic understanding of things is taking them. He says, you're smearing me with lies, will you speak wickedly on God's behalf? In other words, you've crossed the line into wickedness in order to defend God. But he's hanging on to the hope that one day God will step in and sort this out. Um, His problem is that God seems to be against him for reasons he can't figure out and God won't return his calls and so he's frustrated. Um, And we know how that feels when you've got a problem with your bank. Um, Who do you call? You can't find a number to call. Uh, then finally you you track it down and you ring them and your complaint is just logged into a system by somebody on the other side of the world who gives you a number and someone rings you in three weeks' time um, in reference to your complaint. Maybe maybe they'll get back to you and it's all very impersonal. For Job with God it was even harder than that because God doesn't have a complaints department. (laughs) You're not going to get a call back. Well, he wasn't getting one anyway. But here and there Job hopes against hope that maybe somebody will help. Uh, Chapter 9, if only there was someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. Uh, Chapter 16, my intercessor is my friend as my eyes pour out tears to God. On behalf of a man he pleads with God as one who pleads for a friend. Now this is, remember Job is very early in the Old Testament so he just had this faint glimmer of a hope that maybe from heaven would come some sort of help for him in his situation. I think he can only be talking about God, that maybe God will step in as a witness for him. And there's some famous verses in chapter 19 where he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. And what he's expressing there is a hope against hope that maybe God will deal with God in the end on his behalf. A Redeemer will come from God and provide final justice and reconnect him with God. You wouldn't even say that he's seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. You're just saying that, you might just say that he's imagining that maybe around the next bend in the tunnel there'll be a, a tiny light a very long way off. So God has turned against him and become his enemy and he can't explain it. In the short term, the best he can hope for is death but maybe somehow God will become his redeemer one day when the records are opened. God will come to his defence. So the friends point the finger at Job and defend their system. You get what you deserve. How can a maggot argue with God's justice? They do literally call him a maggot at one point. But Job maintains it cannot be that simple. God became my enemy, not vice versa. I don't deserve this. There's a lot of mystery here. I can only hope that out of that cloud of mystery, God might emerge as my redeemer one day. Um, I don't know if you're feeling this, um, but maybe you can relate to, to this sort of feeling of confusion and, um, and the fog. At the end of the dialogue, we have a reflection in chapter 28, which is not in the same voice and I don't think is part of the conversation. 
It's kind of like a piece of the book of Proverbs plonked into the book of Job. And it really does stand out for that reason. What is chapter 28 doing there is what all the commentators are asking. Uh, It's about how hard it is to find wisdom. It's like mining for jewels. You have to go deep and you have to go dark and it takes determination and it's a lonely process to find them. You can imagine mining for jewels in the olden days before they had machinery when back in Job's day you just have to dig a hole and keep going. Uh, And wisdom is both mostly unobtainable and priceless. If you want answers they are not easy to come by. That's what chapter 28 says. But then it says only God has it. We might think we have all the systems that explain how everything works, but only God knows it all. And uh, therefore, the end of chapter 28, verse 28 of chapter 28 is inserted at the end. It's not even the part of the poem of chapter 28. It's like it's been plonked into the bit that's been plonked into Job. And the end of that chapter says this, He said to the human race, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. And I think it's saying after all the long dialogue and everything else, you can look for answers, but what you really need is to know God. If you have God, you don't really need the answers. And that, of course, is what we find at the very end of the book of Job to give away the ending. So I just want to finish very quickly with three points uh, this morning. And the first is that undeserved suffering is real. We find that hard to believe sometimes, to believe in undeserved suffering, because we still have this reflex in us that takes us back to the system, you get what you deserve. We've got that sort of wired into us. So when we suffer, we wonder what we did wrong. When others suffer, we wonder what they did wrong. When we do better than others, we feel a little bit superior to them. When we do worse than others, we feel a bit envious to them. And that's because it's ingrained in us, you get what you deserve. Um, it's, it's part of human nature. Remember when the Apostle Paul was on the island of Malta in Acts and the snake fastened itself to his hand and what the locals thought? They thought, oh, he must be a murderer. Otherwise, why would a snake bite his hand? Um, you get what you deserve. They assumed this system. It's universal. Islam assumes this system. God is just. That's that. Eastern religions assume the same system. They don't have a God in there necessarily, but they call it karma. It get, what goes around comes around. You get what you deserve. But Job teaches us that it is not that simple. God is just, but there are other factors. The equation is far more complicated. Now that Jesus has come, we have it confirmed that it is not that simple. There is such a thing as undeserved suffering. Otherwise, there could be no grace. Jesus' suffering was undeserved, we know that. Uh, Like Job's suffering, but more so. Jesus deserved glory, but what he got was hell along with shame and mockery, the ultimate injustice Jesus suffered, undeserved suffering. And what did his undeserved suffering achieve? It achieved undeserved blessing for you and me. It's the source of God's grace. Uh, Our salvation revolves around undeserved suffering. This is the secret of wisdom that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 1, which the world doesn't understand. To the world it's foolishness, the message of the cross. To the world, you get what you deserve. How can a crucified person be saviour and lord? This is the mysterious wisdom of God. Undeserved suffering can be redemptive suffering and that is why Jesus came. 
So undeserved suffering is real. You need to know that when you are suffering or when you're comforting those who are suffering. There is such a thing as undeserved suffering. There is such a thing as mystery. But also, therefore, hope is real. Job hoped against hope for a mediator and a redeemer who would step in for him with God. He hoped that God would deal with God on his behalf and that, of course, is what God has done now through sending his son into the world. Even now, the Lord Jesus is interceding for us, for his people. And so, if you're a Christian believer, you will not find his door closed in quite the same way that Job did. Sometimes you might feel like Job, come on God, answer me. But Jesus promised, and we can believe it, ask, ask, seek, knock, and you will not find God unresponsive. His door is open to us. Now it's true, he may not relieve your situation straight away for his own reasons, but we can trust that he never turns his back on his friends. He will always vindicate our trust in him. There are two very wonderful verses uh, from William Cowper's hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, that I'm reminded of here. Uh, It says, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. And so my point here is that hope is real because our Redeemer lives. And the last thing I want to say here is that uh, therefore knowing God beats knowing answers. Of course we want answers when we're going through things and we want to know why, we want explanations. But our focus when we confront our own difficulties needs to be that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I don't dig into the ground to find the jewels of wisdom for myself. Uh, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I may not understand his providence, but I can be near to him nonetheless. And when we comfort others, that is also worth bearing in mind, uh, not to try to comfort them using this rigid, simple system of you get what you deserve, but even if we think they are getting what they deserve, we can offer them real grace and comfort in Christ because there is such a thing as undeserved suffering in God's system, even if we can't fully work out how the equation works ourselves. And so I think there's lots to think about here. Um, I think to sort of shape our mood as well as our thinking, I'm going to lead us in prayer as we finish. Heavenly Father, sometimes there's little rhyme or reason to what we experience and we struggle to make sense of our lives. But we thank you for reminding us here that you know what you're doing, that wisdom is in your hand and even when suffering is undeserved, you know its purpose and through the undeserved suffering of Jesus, you've brought undeserved blessing into our lives And so please comfort us in our sufferings with your grace and make us a comfort to others in their sufferings also. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.